0: Oh, that's better. That's better than last time. Let me make sure this thing's going. Oh, there I am. Time for some soy facing, folks. It's my version of doing the scales. Musicians, I gotta do their voice, Mimi Mama Moo. Well, I just have to do soy face to get my jaw in the right position to issue the hottest of takes. Ah! Just, God, craving some soy. I really want some soy right now. Ah! Where's my damn soy? Ah! I might be getting a grill soon. I've been thinking about it. They're extending this, uh, they're extending, uh, they're probably never gonna let people out of uh, their homes in New York here. And like, you know, even if I wanted to ignore it, it wouldn't be, there's nowhere to go because nobody else is uh, gonna ignore it either. So I'm stuck indoors. So I might as well actually start grilling yeah i want to try to do those beyond burgers they're pretty good and also the sausages are very good too i also have some steaks though that are in my freezer that i want to finish before they go bad so gonna grill it up i gotta get like a small medium-sized weber or something i've got to use charcoal. and it can't be too big either because i don't have a lot of space Yeah, uh, people were seeing the O'Bungler's place in the Hamptons, which, or no, I'm sorry, Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard, it's not where all the Democrats go, apparently. It's uh, Little St. James North. And his awful house that looks like it's made of fucking Popsicle sticks, his beige mansion, he's got one tiny little grill. Grill, like, it's probably going to be about the size of the one I get in my postage stamp back area. This guy's got 7 million acres that he can hunt humans for sport on, and he's got one tiny little ass fucking charcoal grill. He doesn't even want to grill. The guy has no interest in grilling. It's a bad-looking house, and it reminds you, these people have no taste, that Edmund Burke, you know, uh, in his defenses of the upper class His defense against the French Revolutionary uh, grand leveling, uh, his defense against the old ancient society of orders was, yes, you have this wild uh, disproportionate uh, distribution of resources, but what that means is that people at the top who are able to spend less time working, are able to have more refined tastes and sensibilities, are able to use that money to build beautiful things that the rest of us can enjoy. Stained glass cathedrals and uh, you know the works of the the Renaissance and all the beautiful, just beautiful homes and and architecture and er- everything that, that the wealthy you know indulge in. All their luxury has a certain aesthetic uh, beauty to it that enlivens all of us, even if we don't get to directly experience it through through owning it. I mean, of course, you can argue about that, and you can talk about how you know it's pretty clearly a uh, a specious argument on the behalf of a total uh, ass kisser, but. I don't think if you, if you brought Burke up from the dead, he'd be able to say that there's any redeeming aesthetic sense to any of the rich assholes we have now. It's just been burned out of them. There's nothing left. Because the only reference point now is luxury. There's no culture... Uh, wealth is so disconnected from people, from, like, actual culture, that there's no remaining sense of, um, of like, luxury expressing any kind of aesthetic or cultural values. Uh, I think a good example of this is if anyone has been to Vegas, uh, in the in the past, like it's I think it's been within the last ten years. So, Vegas, the big the big places that went up in the first generation, you know, were all the mob the mob places, the places that Howard Hughes owned, the casino era ones, that that like forget about that. That's old Vegas. New like modern Vegas started in the early '90s. With a big infusion of corporate money that went into the building of a bunch of themed uh, family-style casinos, getting rid of Vegas's seamy reputation and mob affiliations, and replacing it with the idea of it being a f- place for the whole family. So, what kind of things did they make? What kind of building? What kind of casinos did they build? Uh, they built the Luxor, which is a big crystal pyramid with a s- sphinx in front of it to recall uh, ancient Egypt. Uh, Excalibur, which is just a giant cheesy castle of medieval Europe, they got a, they got joust in the ba- in the basement. Uh, New York, New York, which is supposed to be a recreation of the hustle and bustle of Midtown and Greenwich Village and all that. Uh, hilariously, people put signed items and uh, mementos in front of it uh, after 9/11. And then Steve Wynn shows up in the mid 90s and decides. All this family shit's fine, but we need something that's going to be, like, classy to get people to spend more money. Because there's family vacation-type places have a certain limit. They get a lot of money from a lot of charging people stuff, but it's, there's a limit to, you know, how much you can, for example, how, how high-end a restaurant uh, family place is going to be able to uh, have. And so he wanted some places that bespoke elegance. And so he built Bellagio uh, in 97, which... You know, became famous, especially in Ocean, the first Oceans 11 remake. And it was, you know, Italian, uh, it, it was a reference to, uh, like, modern Italian architecture. Like the idea of, this is Italy. This is the continent. This is, this is sophistication. They had an art gallery. It was the first casino to have an art gallery. Sophistication was the whole idea. And then they built the Venetian, which was Italy in the Renaissance. With with a front that's uh, that's the model after the Doge's Palace, uh, and then they built uh, uh, Paris, which is supposed to be like Second Empire France. These are all things that are supposed to be fancy and supposed to be uh, eloquent and, and beautiful, and of course they're tacky because they're recreations. But at least they're referring to some type of cultural memory of of value. In the last 10 years, like the last 10 years, they built a couple of new casinos and big developments there, like the Cosmopolitan and Aria, the two big ones. And if you've seen these, you can go and look on them online. They have no theme. They have no aesthetic anything. They're just big glass cubes. Because that is the modern architectural language of of, of urban wealth. It's hidden in giant glass buildings because of the vast amount of inequality that urban areas have. You have to, you have to concentrate all that wealth in a, in, a, in a basically one giant tube. And everything is sleek and it all kind of looks like a fucking iPod store, but it's not referencing anything culturally. It's totally self-referential. It's purely expressing money, unadorned by any kind of uh, accumulated culture that that money might have gone into influencing. And it really shows you that the wealthy have reached escape velocity from the rest of us to the point where they're not even in the same world as we are in meaningful ways. They're building an entirely different world. Brutalism's interesting. I think brutalism, I, I understand why people want to say brutalism is good, but I mean, when you consider the constraints that went into brutalism and how much of it was done out of necessity uh, or to cut corners rather than any, uh, due to any real vision, it, it becomes harder to defend in practice. But I can certainly see it being good uh, in... Um, The funniest, brutalist building I know of is the University of Cincinnati. Um, uh, When I lived there, uh, there is a giant, there's a big building that that housed their design school. They have a pretty well-known design school. And it was actually designed by one of the professors at their design school. And it's a big, brutalist tower that fans out at the top. No windows. It looks like a giant Lego. But the guy in the original design, they forgot to put bathrooms in it at all. There are no bathrooms in the building. And they built it before they realized that. And then they had to go back in and install the bathrooms. And then in addition to that, it was also set in its foundation poorly because it's a very hilly campus. And it's now essentially leaning and it's going to fall over. And I think if it hasn't been evacuated yet, they're going to end up evacuating the whole thing and having to destroy it soon. And it lasted for like 30 years. So that's not a great uh, example. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that happened with, uh, with brutalism. It got thrown in there haphazardly and, uh, and cheaply. I mean, I, I don't know. If anyone wants to defend Boston City Hall, you can try. But I have a hard time with it myself. But I'm not really an architecture guy anyway. I'm kind of talking out of my ass. More so than usual. But I do know an ugly house when I see one and the fucking Obama's house is dog shit. I do think it's funny that the vast majority of... uh, Large colleges have brutalist libraries because you know, they all, almost all, they all experienced a huge boom in uh, in admission around the same time because of the baby boom, which led to you know increased endowment and shit like that around the same time, and, in, and a need to build a new library around the same time, and that was the public art that was the public architecture style, and so they all look like that. It's astounding how many... uh, Even on campuses that have a dominant, you know, uh, early modern aesthetic or something, uh, they still will have the goddamn... uh, Like bricks or something, they'll still have the fucking brutalist uh, library. Well, Art Deco, I mean, come on. What's not to love? I fell in love with Art Deco watching Ghostbusters as a child. My first ever encounter of it was, was Dana Barrett's apartment building, designed by Evo Shandor. Cold, riveted steel girders with cores of pure serenium. It's the same sort of telemetry tracker that NASA uses to track dead pulsars in deep space. I say we bring back Tudor half timbers, make every village, make every town look like an absurd, uh, whimsical medieval village. Everything's like falling towards each other. No more toilets, just throwing shit out of the, out of the street. I, I try to read the questions out loud, or at least get the like, get the idea of the question out loud, so that people know what it is. I'm sorry if I don't. But yeah, getting back to the main point is that there's no redeeming aesthetic element to our current oligarchy. Just nothing. Wyatt Coke t White Coke shirts and big ugly glass towers. That's all we got. It sucks. Uh, the new Downbound TV show. I haven't read the book. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I'm always, I'm a big fan of any attempt to, you know, put Brown, John Brown, on TV, but or in anything. But I watched the trailer and it looked intense, and Ethan Hawke looked like he's doing, gonna do a good job. But it also looked like it was trying to be a little epic. It looked like it was trying to be like uh, funny. And I could see that maybe working, but I don't know if it will. I'm going to see it for sure. I'm, uh, I'm, withdraw- I'm withholding judgment, but I'll definitely watch it. Even though, even with the goofy, uh, the goofy feeling of the trailer, when he's like thundering away, it still gives you goosebumps. The Rowdy Piper movie. Is it good? I don't know which one you refer to. If you're talking about They Live, yes, it's very good. If you're talking about Hell Comes to Frogtown, not as good. Favorite seafood? Oysters, baby. Give me them stirs. Oh, a little a little sustainable, non-conscious, guilt-free, delicious little sea, seafood flavor balls. Oh, I love them. Any way you make them. Okay, this is an interesting... Someone asked what I would do for a... uh, If I was going to do an elf reboot. It's a good question. I've I've mentioned this before. How to do an elf reboot. It would all have to be hard R with uh, deep eroticism. Uh, I don't know if I would have elf having sex with a human, but uh, you might see his genitals. I would need that. That would be at a minimum. Swearing, of course. All the swears. And a lot of gore. It would be very bloody. He would eat... The first shot would be of him eating... Actually eating a cat. That's all I know. Very first shot would be a cute little kitty cat that would, he would eat like that scene in Old Boy when he eats the octopus. One shot. No cut. Him just eating a cat. Uh, I don't know how we would do that CGI maybe. Uh, maybe shoot it on international waters or something. But that would definitely be the first shot just to establish that this is not your dad's elf. This is a serious, gritty take on what would happen if there was an alien life form who craved house cats living in a suburban Chicago family's home. But I could definitely see, like, because there was an elf movie that ended up the show where they get caught. He gets caught by the army and they're going to dissect him or something. Uh, I think that could work, like, Elf is a pawn between the White Hats and the Black Hats in the QAnon Deep State War. Like, they're nuking each other's uh, deep underground military bunkers and trying to catch him and swap him for other stuff. I think that could be pretty fun. And the whole time he's just eating the shit out of cats. Oh, my God, what if Elf was Q? That would be perfect, actually. He's the one. He's caught in a deep... He's, he's in Area 51 or something, and he has limited internet access, and all he's able to do is communicate just on this one account, because that's well, the only way that... Like, he's, he's piggybacking on one of his... Uh, on like the 4chan account of one of his uh, um, captors or something. Like he has technology that allows him to ghost his computer, but he has to go where he goes. So he has to go to 4chan. And he describes what's happening. And then Trump and ALF uh, decapitate the deep state and execute Hillary Clinton on live television. And then ALF eats socks. Who would I cast in the Elf Reboot? Okay, that's a good question. All right. Uh, Hopefully you can get the same guy for the voice because I feel like the voice of Elf was pretty uh, um, iconic. If we can't get him, Giamatti seems like, I mean, that seems obvious, but also he's got that, "Ah!" he's got a honk. "Ah, I kill me. Can't you hear Giamatti saying, I kill me? Can't you hear it? Can't you hear the people saying, you can hear it. You can hear him say, I kill me. Uh, Then uh, to play um, the dad, what was his name? Max? Uh, No, Willie. His the guy's real name was Max. Little known fact: uh, Elf's dad on the show. After the show, when he was in his sixties, was photographed uh, in a crack house with no pants. And it ended up getting in a in a uh, like the National Choir or something. Brian Cranston, great, perfect, Malcolm in the middle, perfect, perfect. Brian Cranston, we're already there. We're cooking with gas. Uh, I don't even remember who played the mom because she didn't really have much of a role to play other than telling uh, Willie to be nicer to Alf and vice versa, just playing, uh, you know, uh, just being a housekeeper. Um, You need somebody who could just be that... How about Julianne Moore? There you go. She could just... She could kind of, like, be her... A version of her character from Safe. And then the kid, the little child. I'm not going to be Timothy Chalamet, so just get that out of your head right now. Uh, That little twerp. No, thank you. Probably one of those little assholes from It or, uh, fucking, uh... Stranger Things. There's all, there's all those punk kids now. Just get one of those kids. Who cares? The kids suck. The kid's only going to be in it very, a little bit, and he might even die during the course of the movie. Uh, the kid is, like, secondary. It doesn't matter. What, just randomly grab someone from the cast of, uh, of Stranger Things. The, the kid with no teeth. Whatever. I don't care. Doesn't matter. He's only going to be in two or three scenes, and then he's going to get hit by a, a Humvee or something when the army comes to get out. That To raise the stakes. That would be ideal. Wow, Eric Roberts as the cat has proven he can do it in the film *A Talking Cat*. Yes, that was a hell of a film. Oh, someone says they want to rewatch uh, the '80s Blob. If you have not seen the '80s Blob, watch it. One of my favorite movies. Wildly underrated. There's three really great gory remakes of classic horror films in the eighties. And some of them bombed at the time, some of them were successful, some of them but all of them have gained an estimation. The thing, obviously, the fly. Uh, and but I feel like underestimated and underrated compared to those two, but just as good as either of them, I would argue, is the fucking blob. The blob rule. Some of the best practical effects, gruesome brutal uh very unsentimental willing to kill characters you would not expect at times you wouldn't expect keeps you off of your like narratively keeps you on your toes and what's really funny is that it uh it totally inverts the politics of the original blob because everybody took the original blob as about uh communism right oh there's this big red thing is coming to get everybody it's it's communism or you could say actually the blob is you know anti-communist hysteria if you wanted to be uh, 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 smart ass about it but either way that was the metaphor. In this one the Blob isn't an even alien Quote: uh, spoiler alert it's a military experiment and the military is trying to uh, keep it alive so it can be used as a weapon. So the bad guy is like uh, the military industrial complex and uh, fanatical uh, Christianity. Basically Reagan like Reagan's America is, is, the, is the bad guy uh, in the Blob remake. But forget the politics, just on a pure level of craft, one of the best horror films of of that decade, and belongs absolutely in the same conversation with those other great remakes. Written by Frank Darabont... Man, it makes me want to rewatch that. I watched it a few months ago. I want to watch it again now. It's, it's never free streaming anywhere, of course. Wait a minute. Someone says that if they switch between this channel and Stav, it means I'm insane. I don't get what... Compared to Stav, of course. Stav is uh, I mean, Stav has a level of uh, enlightenment that I will never reach. I'm struggling here. I'm on an earthly plane. He's transcended me. So I don't think that's a fair comparison. Favorite John Carpenter movie? That is always a tough one. Uh, I will say that I have—I don't really like uh, Escape from New York. I'll admit that. That's, I, that's an all-timer that I just can't enjoy. The pace of it has never really worked for me. Uh, and like the, the, the score for once is a real dud for me, too. And it's, my, it's, it's the least interesting Kurt Russell performance that he gave for Carpenter, in my opinion. I don't know. But I really, really like The Thing, obviously, and they live. Prince uh, of Darkness, of course. Uh, I just rewatched In the Mouth of Madness, and it's much better than I remember it being. It's a really good movie. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China, honestly, has a soft spot for me. It might honestly be that if I think about it. It's certainly my favorite Kurt Russell performance with with Carpenter, and since they're such a great duo, that kind of gives it an inside track. Oh man, ghost on Mars. Ooh. I should rewatch that one, too. You know, I kind of even like Vampires because it had a good uh, James Woods performance, but there's a reliance on montage instead of action scenes. It's kind of troubling. It kind of feels like they ran out of money, which they probably did. I know Carpenter's never had a great time getting funding for his movies, which is obviously awful. But at the same time, I don't really think that even if you gave him money now, he'd really want to make a movie. He seems to be actually where a, where a person like him should be, chilled, at 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 ease with their uh, with their legacy, gaming, uh, smoking weed, uh, following pro basketball, rocking out with his son. Sounds fun. He doesn't need to make any more movies. Yes, Jan- John Carpenter is one hundred percent grill pill. When they when they ask him what do you think of this movie that's coming out based on your thing, he's like. Uh, if they're not paying me, so I don't care. If they paid me, then I would care. What other attitude did you have towards your old work? There's nothing you can do about it. It'll stand the test of time on its own. Does anyone remember the fucking Mary Elizabeth Winstead thing? It was technically like a prequel, so they were trying to like not to be sacrilegious. So it's look, this isn't actually a sequel. This is what happens to the to the Scandinavians before uh, the thing starts. Okay, apparently they did practical effects, by the way, in that whole movie, and then they showed it to the executives, and the executives were so weirded out by it, because practical effects, they don't, they don't look more realistic, is the thing, than CGI. They look different. They look, more, they look like they take up space, but they don't necessarily look more convincing. What CGI shows you is that that's not the only thing that matters. Convincing is not the only thing that matters. If it feels like it's actually present and has weight and it's in the room, you will forgive anything else. But these guys have been so hardwired to think that realism is what you're after that they freaked out and had them reshoot it all with CGI, which of course now already looks like dog shit. But nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers the Fog remake. This shit where they just have some fucking music video director come out and a couple people from a WB show star in it. And it makes $50 million and nobody ever thinks about it again. The originals are still there. They're still, he's, still, he's still beloved by all the people who, who seek quality cinema. The guy's Twitter handle is Master of Horror, for God's sake. He is secure in himself. Because Master of Horror is the kind of thing that only someone who really thought they were would ever put in their fucking bio. That's the kind of thing that you have to be fake modest about. If you're insecure or guilty. He's not. So he's like, yeah, I'm a master of horror. Fuck you. Ernest Scared Stupid does hold up. And speaking of good effects, the Ernest Scared Stupid effects are pretty damn good. That the the, the the trolls look good. And it's some of Varney's finest acting. Uh, when he does all the different characters, no, he was really talented, Jim Varney. I don't think, uh, I don't think Lee Carter's coming on Trappo, guys, sorry. Probably not going to happen. I think we can let that one go, Hopefully. Did I like the new David Gordon Green Halloween movie? I actually did. I thought it was really good. I was very surprised at how effective it was as a horror movie because I've never really been that impressed with David Gordon Green as a stylist. He was, I always thought he was very good at creating mood, but I didn't really feel like he was necessarily someone who was terribly adept at you know, pacing and, uh, and lighting and, and editing, the kind of things that make a, a, a horror scene pop. But it was good. Have I seen Tremors? Have I seen Tremors? To even ask the question. Another movie that is f- almost flawless. It, 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 it has ambitions that it, that are, it is perfectly suited to achieving. It is, it is, yes, it is a reach not exceeding its grasp. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I've only seen a couple of the Tremor sequels. I saw the one, the second one where they run and I saw the third one where they fly from farting. They keep getting worse, man. I never saw the Old West one. I think I watched the first 10 minutes of the fifth one on Netflix and I was like, no, I can't even do this. Have I seen Bordello of Blood by Dennis Miller? I saw Bordello of Blood with Dennis Miller in the theater. Because at the time, as, as a young man, I loved, I loved him because his jokes had very uh, obscure references in them. And if I got them, I felt smart. So that's why I liked him. It wasn't because he was funny. It's because he it was flattering to me as a fucking awful nerd. And so when he had that brief, awful, abortive... Acting uh, career in the 90s. I was there. I was all there. Uh, Bordello Blood, not very good. There's a lot of nudity in it, which is nice. Uh, he is pretty funny. And apparently he was a huge jerk during the making of the film. Uh, he wouldn't talk to anybody. Uh, he basically wrote his own dialogue. And then he refused to promote it. Just was above it all the whole time. But still cashed the checks. Absolute prick, as you would imagine. Demon Knight is much better. The first, The first... Tales from the Crypt movie is much better. I heard that M. Night Shyamalan was remaking Tales from the Crypt for TNT. I don't know if that got canceled. I hope so, because the whole point of Tales from the Crypt was EC comedy, or EC comics, which, you know, for, for HBO meant it had to be exploitation. So it was wildly gory and filled with nudity. And it's... If you're not going to do that, what's the point of doing Tales from the Crypt? The stories aren't that clever. It's like, oh, oh, that ventriloquist dummy is going to kill him now. It's not like this shit wasn't Twilight Zone. I watched the new Creep Show and it was okay. None of them were that great. They just seemed a little literal, literal literal-minded. looking for a question. I'm having a hard time finding anyone. I always look kind of dead. Oh, dear. That doesn't sound good. I hope I, the, the camera looks like this image is clearer. I know it wasn't so good yesterday. I don't know. I need to get a new phone, I think. Someone wants to talk about the robot police state that's coming. I don't really know what to say about it, other than that's the trajectory we're on. Uh, we can stop it. Hopefully, we certainly should try to, with all of our fibers of being, because it is—it's uh, a—it's a bad outcome that we should all try to avoid. But I really don't know at this point what to say. Uh, I just—I feel like we're still, still taking in the mag—the magnitude of the shifting grounds underneath us. Are Brooklyn drug dealers delivering? I'm assuming all drug dealers everywhere are delivering. Opinions on Uve Boll. I'll take that one just because I love Uwe Boll because he thinks he's funny. And the way he thinks he's funny is is actually hilarious. Uh, Postal is really the movie to watch. I mean, most of them are just too inept to be funny. But when he's actually trying to be humorous, they're pretty good. And also, what's really baffling is, is an, an interesting movie from an ideological perspective are his, assault on, uh, are, are his, rampi- his movie Assault on Wall Street... And then his Rampage movies, which over time became these like kind of Chomsky essays intermixed with just nihilistic violence. Actually, someone asked if I'm excited for them streaming the Hamilton film. I'm, I mean, at this point, I will watch it. This thing that I've talked about and speculated about for years and helped make my career in many ways, I'm not going to not watch it. i got to find out. And I want to find out how a bastard orphan, child of a whore and a Scotsman, became a hero and a scholar because he was a self-starter who worked a lot harder and was a lot smarter. I am watching SNL Zoom, and I've said this. It's brutally depressing, and I hope they don't do it anymore. This is the end of the season. I honestly hope they just cancel it. If everyone's still quarantined and they're not doing live shows anymore, in September, they should just get, just take this as a sign from God, because I'm not getting anything from this anymore. I'm not getting any even, just like, hey, what's what are the kids up to these days? Which I usually get from SNL. It, like I've said, it's like, they're like terrorist suicide martyr videos, like, hey, me and my friend are gonna make this hilarious sketch before I go and blow up myself at a fucking uh, marketplace. Grim! Grim, grim, grim. Bring back Mad TV. I mean, obviously now more than ever. Now more than ever, we need Mad TV. Uh, in in a soundstage, in the desert, no studio audience. Uh, either you do a laugh track or nothing. Oh God, I saw the Mr. Show Zoom thing. Ooh, I couldn't resist it. I mean, Mr. Show is such a part of my humor DNA. But man, it was uh, grim. Everything, all this, all this table read stuff, all the Zoom stuff, is really, really grim, and it makes everything worse because it reminds you of how quickly and frantically people will try to adapt to an unsustainable situation, uh, just because they have no, they can't think of anything else to do. Somebody asked about Howie Hawkins and the Green Party. If you want to vote for them, go for it. I don't care. I mean, I, just, I don't think it's going to matter. I, I just can't see third-party presidential politics. I mean, that party anyway, and in, in this context, with guy with candidates like Howie Hawkins mattering. Like I said, Jesse Ventura. Now you got another story. But I, I just it seems like a. I don't know. If you if you if you want if you feel like it's worth it to you, go for it. I'm not going to judge you, but I'm just not, I don't see the point. Feels like everyone in the Zoom-based content has a gun pointed at them off-screen, and the writers are all crying while writing. That is a very accurate. Thank you, Strong Goose. Shout out there. That is the correct comment. Everyone feels coerced. Everyone feels on the verge of tears. It's not good. Well, what? Are, someone wants us to know why we haven't covered Tara Reid. I don't know what at this point where there is more to say than what we already know. The the, the 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 depths to which the democratic party will go, the degree to which their their commitment to any any of the principles they claim to have supported is was actually just a fig leaf for their coercive power over the discourse is all obvious it's not like if he, it's not like it's going to bring down Biden. I think people have this delusion that oh if we if we bring down Biden with this, they're going to put Bernie in there no. Uh, Someone wants to know if I'm doing anything else with Gnosticism. I mean, I've gone through a few stages, uh, you know, of thinking about things. And I've realized that at a certain level of abstraction, there's really no way to get across anything I'm trying to say in a way that won't just sound to most people like insanity or something that they, you know, understand intellectually but uh, give no real, you know, uh, meaning to, don't don't give any credence to as, as something that's explanatory. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out sort of how to suffuse my understandings into things that operate at a, at a more, at a lower and more comprehensible, mutually comprehensible level. Uh, but I definitely still, uh, I'm thinking about the demo urge and how the Dema urge is you and me and we all make uh, a shadow of the world and we have to live in it and we think it's the whole thing, but it's not. Where is Ghislaine? A very good question. A question I never thought we would get the answer to. The fact that she's apparently suing this Epstein estate is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Holy crap. I, I don't know. I mean, my assumption is that that is a paper move to keep her alive. Because remember, every other statement about her is whereabouts is then never followed up upon or substantiated from the fake In-N-Out pictures to her hanging out with the billionaire in, in Massachusetts, uh, her supposedly being triangulated by her cell phone to a resort in Brazil, and now she's somehow pursuing legal cases, defamation suits, and, and lawsuits again for the estate. I mean, all of those things could be done through shells and straws and the account, so I don't know I, I think it, it makes me think that she was taken care of and that she hasn't been around for a while alive and uh, nothing that has happened since then has really made me doubt that because it does seem so weird how it'll be quiet for three or four months and then there'll be some gossip thing about how oh just Lane's friends are talking about how she wants to get back out there then nothing Three months later, ah, oh, triangulated cell phone. places is just laying in Brazil. Nothing. Three months later, oh, she's suing someone. It's like just putting up a flare every once in a while just to keep people from wondering too much where she might be. People are really mad that Michael Hudsons hasn't been on the pot. We've asked him. He prefers to just post. Why hasn't Caleb Jacoby been on the podcast? Oh, God, you don't think I ask myself that every day? I would love to have young Caleb on. I would love him to spit fire about the time he hitchhiked to New York and went to the fucking Eminem store. And I felt the fact that he apparently makes uh, he makes hip-hop beats influenced by the Kabbalah and the sacred geometry of the, of the Torah. I need to talk to this man. Uh, I would like to have Mike Duncan on again. I I should ask him soon. I kind of want to have him on after he ends the rest the whole show. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe before he comes back from the hiatus. Elon Musk on the show we have had Elon Musk on the show in the form of James Adomian I don't know I don't think if he, I don't think he would want to go on I don't think he really wants anybody to talk to him who isn't like Joe Rogan is just gonna be like oh cool wow oh man May 4th oh like Star Wars Dan Aykroyd going on Truanon. I don't know. I don't know how, how deep Dan Aykroyd's connections go. Dan Aykroyd could be compromised. Realistically, I mean, he claims to know a lot of stuff, and he's still out there. It makes you wonder if he's been compromised in some way, if he might be orchestrating limited hangouts. It's the same thing you got to wonder about that Tom DeLonge character. Somebody asked me yesterday to talk about the fact that now we have the name of a guy from the actual name of one of the guys from the Saudi embassy who helped the 9-11 hijackers uh, navigate in the U.S. and give them money and stuff. I mean, it's just they forget to block out a name. We knew there was a guy, you know, there was a direct part of the Saudi uh, government who was involved. We've always known that. That's, that's the hilarious shit is that it all just went out right in the open. And because it's one of those things that's so vast, it can't be dealt with, it can kind of go out there because there's no one who's going to do anything with it because it's too all-encompassing. It's the same thing with Epstein, kind of. There's no, you don't really have to worry about one side or the other using it if it's out in the open because it's too all-encompassing and it, it's too bipartisan in its condemnation. So, and, and it's too central to the perpetuation of the existing systems that both sides support. So there's no way for them to effectively leverage it. So we can just sort of like over time let this shit out because there's nothing anyone can do about it. I mean, I remember the fucking Afghan tapes, uh, the Afghan papers, which were like the Afghanistan war version of the Pentagon papers saying basically the same thing that they lied the entire time about the Afghanistan war they lied about the metrics they lied about America's uh, progress they lied about the viability of the government, they lied about the viability of the Taliban opposition. they lied about everything for the entire way that they did and it didn't matter because it's no one's gonna change any of this shit. So then what so who is there to even make anything of it other than individual citizens? that they can see everyone else not doing anything about it and internalize the idea that even though this thing seems huge, it must mean nothing because if it did mean something, why isn't anybody doing anything? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised with those JFK files. I wouldn't be surprised. At a certain point, it'll be so long ago and, and memories will be so short. And there'll be no, there'll be very little remaining uh, emotional attachment to the 60s. Basically, once the doom, boomers are gone, the ones who still fixate on the Kennedy assassination, as soon as they're gone, or most of them, or they're out of positions where they're still exercising authority through the vote in any significant number, you can put them out there and then people will just be like, oh, wh- wow, huh, wow, will you look at that? And they'll look around and nobody's gonna do anything, so, huh, okay, I guess that's just the thing. Yeah, it does feel like we're just getting these this series of limited hangouts all designed to ignore us to the vast amount of shit that's been kept from us with the implicit uh, message that there's nothing you can do to stop us, which is really why I resist conspiracy theory shit more than anything, because it's very hard not to take the message of conspiracy theory worldview to be there can be no change Because their control is total. (sighs) Ha! Boomer High School history teacher had them watch JFK in class. That is irresponsible teaching and I'm here for it. Give it to me way better than whatever the hell you were gonna have them do what just have them listen to fucking We Didn't Start the Fire that's basically all you get in 20th century usually in American history uh courses uh in high school you get a whole year to do the U.S. history you mostly do the fucking constitution uh and the founding fathers uh and then the rest of it is yeah by the time you get to the 20th century it's just they just play We Didn't Start the Fire and then you the test is you have to fill in the lyrics Ah, someone says their teacher did play We Didn't Start the Fire and then gave them a test. Fucking it. I love American public schools. Also private ones. What conditions would it take for the U.S. military to seize control of government? Basically, whether at the point when the alternative would be a collapse of the government. I assume it would take that much. Because as I said, these guys are all time-serving fucking fatheads. They have no vision. They have no real ambition beyond uh, climbing through the corp- essentially the corporate ranks of the Pentagon. They're just time-servers. So they're gonna take orders up until the end, until if it's just roll up the tents and go home, or try to maintain America as it exi- as it you know, as it has traditionally existed with its flags and symbols under their rule, then they would do it. But that would have to be in their 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 uh, it would have to be at their level of perception. They would have to see it that way themselves as the only thing standing between. And because they're so short-sighted and so uncreative, I, don't, I think it would take very, very, very much to get them there. So I think we would have to be in a state of very deep crisis. I don't know how it would specifically look. But I think the Constitution and its inability to adapt to situations of crisis and like, extreme shifts in material conditions and political reality uh, is going to be the thing that makes it happen one way or the other. How did our imagination become so limited? Because we don't talk to each other anymore. I hate to sound like a fucking Jimmy Stewart character, but I mean, we don't have a social understanding. If you don't see yourself as part of a social organ, a social mechanism, how can you imagine any sort of uh, future that will uh, feature your input in any way? Uh, How can you imagine a future as something that is constructed... By people and not something endured. That's the only way we've experienced it. We've, we've felt no sense of, of agency or ownership over any part of our lives. And so we assume that that's the inevitable and, and only way that uh, the world works. That there is no way that we could assert control over our destinies. Like, what's, what's happening? We're just shrugging our shoulders and going back out because that's just what happens. Because these things are one way or the other natural occurrences. And we can blame... We can blame the president and we can get mad at him, but we're basically like fans of a baseball team who get really mad at the manager. Everybody knows, everybody really knows that the manager is the most inessential member of the team. You can have the greatest, if you have a good enough talent on a baseball team, you'd have to be a really bad coach to squander it and vice versa because there's not much for a manager to do. uh, As opposed to, he's not drawing up plays for the most part. But people still get mad at them, and if the team does badly, they still get fired. And if the team does well, they get promoted, they get uh, extended. That's how we treat the presidents. But we kind of know at some level that they're not in charge. We just endure things. We just endure it. And that's why we can't imagine anything better. That's why we can't imagine any other way to deal with this virus than enduring thousands and hundreds of thousands more dead, and higher risk to ourselves and our loved ones every time we go out. Uh, Somebody wants to know about what I said about how fascism isn't plausible in the short term. That's what I mean. If we can't imagine a social being that we're part of how can we imagine fascism fascism is the is the absolute the the ideal of fascism is the subsumption of all all those pesky liberal subjects all those fractious atomized liberal subjects compressed with the power of the state into one mass into one corporeal being that's about as far from our perception of ourselves in relationship to each other in this society as you could imagine they have Fascism has farther to go to, like engage the creative, uh, uh, you know, political mind of, of uh, imagination, the, the American political imagination, than almost any mindset, any any ideology. If if that if that changes, if if politics becomes more real, if people feel like they're char- they can control things, it's because there's been some deeper breakdown. It's because there's been some devolution of authority downward where it can be reachable. And in a situation like that, where you have breakdown at a local level, you could have very quickly, you could have fascism take control. But if we assume that the American state structure maintains its integrity, then politics is going to become less and less relevant. People are going to be less and less aware of themselves as politically engaged people. Which means the space is going to get filled. The authoritarian space isn't going to get filled by stormtroopers even, or even troops. It's going to be filled by technology. It's going to be filled by every smart device uh, around that can pinpoint your exact location anywhere. That can listen to you almost anywhere you might be by turning on a speaker. Uh, see any communication you might give. That technology already is essentially being perfected. In here and in China. That and an uh, and, uh, and almost automated AI-controlled drone war, that does all the work that you would need the fucking essay to do or that you would need the enabling acts for or that you'd need to do the Night of the Long Knives to bring in the Wehrmacht for. You don't need any of that shit. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. I have a couple more questions tonight, and then I'll say goodnight. Have some dinner. Uh, robots should be harnessed for the people. Yes, like, that's what I said, is that the two paths, the socialism or barbarism path that we're on, uh, is, the, is, is capitalism and, and, uh, and communism as, as the states that are allowed to be possible by technology. Technology makes communism possible. Technology makes capitalism possible. Uh, so, and 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 at sufficiently advanced levels, technology can make communism, make socialism become communism, or in the hands of capital, can make can accelerate us towards total submission to machinery, total algorithmization, where we are just, we are just inputs. We're like, we're like bulbs in a string of Christmas lights, interchangeable. We are we are uh, we are pure Skinner creatures of reward and punishment for a given amount of uh, of exertion to the degree that we're necessary. So it's I mean the the, the Luddite path is is back towards you know slave empires. Uh, so the technology that we have been able to to create over the course of you know the the progress of of. Uh, of the of economic complexity and stuff that shouldn't be thrown away but right now we have to confront the fact that we have very little power over it that it's almost entirely in the hands of capital and that they're going to use it in the short term to maximize their control over a increasingly untenable social space that is going to become harder and harder to govern through conventional political means as conditions deteriorate and that is something we have to deal with. And I don't think you deal with it by getting rid of technology. I don't think, think that's wor- that would work. You're not the Ewoks. But it has to be reckoned with. Uh, all right, guys. I'm going to say good night. Hope you guys had a good time. I know I did. Uh, bye-bye.